0: Brotherhood, multiplication, restoration. We are Sin Network. We're a family planting churches together. Journey with us as we hear from church planters all across North America, discovering what it really takes to plant churches everywhere for everyone. This week, I'm with Ryan McCammon, just east of Atlanta, to talk about Gospel Hope Church. What's up, Ryan? How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. You? I'm doing well. Doing well. So describe Decatur, because, you know, the the theme around it is Decatur's where it's greater. Right, right. So why why is Decatur greater? Right, so Decatur is um, ultra
1: different. There's kind of like two parts of Decatur. There's what they call the city of Decatur, which is very young, um, gentrified, a lot of Hipster young professionals live there. Loft type things. Yep. It's got a very like kind of quirky, cool little downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's just kind of a stone's throw from our church. Mm-hmm. Well, Memorial Drive, and uh, maybe we'll talk about this yep, a little yep. bit longer later. Uh, Memorial Drive is kind of the proverbial railroad tracks okay. in Atlanta. Yep. You know, yep. north of Memorial is more white, and south of Memorial is more black. It's Chocolate City. That's right. That's yep, right. Yep. So the south part of Decatur. Um, is is much more African American, and unfortunately, uh, a lot more poor. Yeah. So our church is kind of settled right yeah. on that dividing right. line.
0: What things did you do to prepare your family yep. for that move? Oh man, man.
1: We did a terrible job with our kids yeah. early on. Um, so I remember the first conversation with them and they were like in tears. It was awful. Yeah. Um, we, they were tired. It, we just We just timed it poorly. Uh, But then by the next day or so, all of our kids were like, yeah, we get it. Like, you know, people need to hear the gospel. They really had a missionary heart, which, um, and, and, and here's the other thing that's been super encouraging. Like the great thing about church planning um, is that your kids can feel a high sense of ownership yes, of the ministry. That's good. Um, you you kind of hear the the beef about pastor's kids somehow. Yeah. There's a stereotype that they walk away from the Lord. And there's actually like some statistics that yeah. are pretty bad hmm. on that regard. But uh, I heard uh, Jeff Christopherson one time share that it's almost reverse with church planners. Hmm. And and he his theory was largely because... Uh, kids of church plants have ownership of the plant rather than just kind of spectators of that so I mean my kids serve in all kinds of ways my my one daughter who's 11 helps with the little kids and everybody wants Sydney on their team because she's just awesome you know so
0: yeah so so you started off bad but you seem like you ended strong yes so what where did you see that transition what did what did you do give me just a couple of kind of Things that you did to help turn that ship.
1: Yeah, I, I think just having strategic conversations about why we're going, yeah. um, you know, and talking about it uh, of like it's not it's not Daddy's planning the church, the mechanics are planning the church. This is our endeavor.
0: Part of the culture at Blueprint is that we believe kind of in the idea of team, mm-hmm. and in the team, obviously you, you you incorporate the corporate, but then you also highlight the individual, our sure. part on the team. Tell us about Ryan. What's unique about Ryan? What do you bring to any team as a, as a church planner?
1: Mm. I think there's there's two areas that that probably have been most pronounced in the in the church plant that the Lord has I think gifted me in. One would be. Um, I, I think I'm a, I'm a fairly good just communicator of God's word. Like that, that is a passion that I have and I, I love to preach God's word. I love to teach God's word in a variety of different contexts. And I think the other thing, and it, it, there's kind of an overlap. Uh, I think one reason why people generally like my preaching is that it, it's fairly easy to follow. Like I'm a very organized thinker. Um, I'm gonna tell you the point and then I'm gonna kind of walk through things with you. Um, and. And so what that's translated to is I'm also very systematic in the way that I think about the organization of the church. And so that that gifting, I think, has served me in
0: ministry well. And that's a unique blend. It is, it is unique. I mean, it's not very common that you are both uh, like like it's either people are, are good at organizing their words and mm-hmm. thoughts, but mm-hmm. not organizing systems, or mm-hmm. good at organizing systems and not organizing thoughts. I mean, there's a whole thing called pastor and executive pastor. Right, 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 right. That, yeah, but, I you know, have heard of it. Yeah. Yes, so yeah. Yeah. no, but it is, and I, so I think that's 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 a critical critical thing, and I think that is something I would affirm both of those, mm-hmm. you know, in you, and so yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how you kind of engaged. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the first things that I think is really important, and it's something that we're adopting in Send Network throughout all of our cities, is the fact that when you got in as a someone who's from Chicago coming to Atlanta, mm-hmm. you came in and you did a residency mm-hmm. with us, mm-hmm. you know, at, at Blueprint Church. And talk a little bit about the importance of that time and just kind of how would you advise in that area? Yeah, I, I think church planning residencies
1: if they're done in a, in a healthy church. Um, and they are so invaluable. I mean, I, I, I have multiple theological degrees. Um, I'd been in pastoral ministry for, for about 15 years before we came to Atlanta and I learned a ton. So, I mean, I would say particularly, you know, if you're just coming out of seminary or thinking about going to a church, man, just don't be in a hurry to plant. You would rather, um, Go out later. I had one seminary professor say something. Would you rather go out now and and plow the fields with a hoe, yeah. or go out a little bit later with a tractor? Yep. And I think you would just be well served if you would take some time to learn from somebody who's doing it
0: well and can inform you in that. That's good. You talk about kind of diversity. And a lot of times, you know, we did undivided and all that. There's, there's this kind of racial diversity. That a lot yeah. of times that we focus in yeah. on. But there's other different types of diversity, especially if you're in the city, right? Yeah. You got economic diversity, mm-hmm. you got generational yeah. diversity, you, there's a couple of things I want to kind of talk about that is, one, there was kind of a, you know, I don't know what you would call it, a merger mm-hmm. uh, with another church plant uh, or however you would call that. But so that's one. And that brought in both racial diversity, but it also brought in some generational mm-hmm. diversity. Mm-hmm. Talk about that specifically, mm-hmm. um, the generational diversity, old and young.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So... There are many prejudices in our society, right? And oftentimes the um, the systematic injustices against um, African Americans in our countries get talked about, and rightfully so. Like that's yeah. really important that we talk about. But but another there's a real age prejudice. A younger is better. I mean, how do how do companies advertise new and improved as if if it's newer, it's better. And so my fear sometimes is some of these people that have walked with God for a long time, um, just faithfully been in church, they're being alienated and not thought of because we want to reach the younger generation. We certainly do want to reach young people. There's no question about it. But we don't want to do so and just kind of ignore our our elders in one sense. So I think that's been a real blessing for Gospel Hope because the reality is, is that um, folks that are older in their faith, more mature in their faith, man, they have a ton of wisdom to offer. And maybe they don't have the energy of youth, but we've tried to really give them a platform to speak into things and meaningful ways to serve.
0: How did you bring dignity to both voices, to the older and the younger?
1: Yeah, I think when you are talking about any type of Um, merger or somebody coming alongside and bringing another group is, um, in a very good sense, there has to be a death to the old. Um, We didn't want to be, when we planted Gospel Hope, as much as we love Blueprint, we didn't want to be like, just another Blueprint where we're going to do it because we knew we had various groups of people coming through. We had people from Blueprint coming. We had people from this other ministry coming. We had people from the camp that I went to coming. So that was really a gift to us because it forced us in one sense to say, okay, we're not going to do it like we did it before anywhere. There's going to be overlap, but we're going to create a new culture that we think is healthy.
0: Um, As we... Think about, because what I love about it is, is that in all that you still are about making disciples. Mm-hmm. You are still about winning the loss, raising them up, you know, and then even sending. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we are the sin network. Right. And part of that is that we want to see more healthy churches of people, you know, discovering, and developing, and deploying church mm-hmm. planning teams from within and so mm-hmm. that we're and as we raise them up and we send them out you have a really good, robust leadership mm-hmm. pipeline, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of what you're doing and like you're planting pregnant, you're you're already kind of have people who are residents and interns within your church and your church has been going for how long? Uh,
1: we're just over a year and a half now,
0: yeah. Okay, over a year and a half, but you're already thinking that, mm-hmm. you know? And so just like, talk to me a little bit about that uh, briefly and just kind of saying like, what are you doing? How were you, how was your intentionality yeah. in the beginning? Get you to this point?
1: Yeah, I would say the first and most important thing is that um, if you're a church planner, you might be thinking, "I can't afford to focus on you know raising up the next leaders or right. getting ready to plant the next church or, or sending some of my my best people out in overseas missions." And and I would just say, man, you can't afford not to. Yeah, because that's gonna create a culture in your church of really gospel centrality where yeah. you're saying, I mean, as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so send I you. Yeah. So that's the first thing. You gotta have a conviction, okay. conviction to send. To send. Um, and then you gotta have a plan. Like, um, yeah. So for us, um, you know shameless plug here the nam pipeline stuff is fantastic yeah. it really is um, and we just we just use that with with all of our residents so before somebody we would say you can be a resident you can be an intern with us we have them go through that assessment we take a look at where they are in their spiritual development and what i'm doing right now is i'm just calling it an emerging leaders cohort okay. so twice a month i gather with these people that are going through the nam pipeline material and yeah. it's really fantastic it's stuff good. we have a discussion about it practical application, and then we invite them into um, kind of a backstage pass, as it were. They come to our staff
0: meeting. And that's kind of what coaching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're they're, they're experiencing it and Mm -hmm. coaching. Mm -hmm. Okay. They actually
1: have a formal coaching call with one of our
0: leaders, too. So um, we've actually
1: devoted resources to to hiring a coach to coach these
0: guys up because we see Yes. So you have conviction. Yes. You have a plan. Yes. You have a backstage pass and you have a coach. Yeah. And that's pretty much what your residency is in embodying. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's exciting. I'm excited about kind of what God is doing and what he will continue to do through Gospel Hope, man. Let me ask you a different question. Yeah. When you are giving your church planning spill of why Atlanta, mm-hmm. why what do you like what do you say? Give me, give me some pointers. Oh, some pointers. That's yeah, good, that's I good. I need help.
1: Yeah, I, I think particularly our side of town, there's this collision of all these worlds. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity to, as we say it at Gospel Hope, to display the reconciling hope of the gospel. Mm, that's good. You know, 1 John four twelve says, no one has ever seen God. Well, that's plain because he's invisible, right? Yeah. But if we love one another, his love is made manifest or complete in us. So if we can, by God's grace, unite these people from different um, ethnic, socioeconomic, um, generational, um, even even significant cultural differences and bring them together as a church. And, and as you love to say, the church is not like a family, it is a family. And actually live out that family dynamic, I think it's so powerful for the
0: gospel. But everybody says that. Yeah. Like we're in a time where multi-culture this, multi-ethnic that, multi- everybody's multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-whatever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How hard has it been as a white guy yeah. trying to do this?
1: Yeah. There's been some challenges, but I think one thing that we were able to do um, is we started with critical mass. So our launch team was uh, was diverse from the get-go. And so what that meant is when people came to our community groups or they came to a Sunday service, they were like, oh, I could go to church here. Yeah. And, and here's what I would argue. Um, don't make multiculturalism the goal, make making disciples the goal. Hmm. and. Man, if your church is predominantly one thing or another and you are reaching people
0: with the gospel
1: of Christ, just praise the Lord for that.
0: There are some things that we can strive to, but don't let strategy drive the horse. Yeah. We, one of the things we've always said is that we've never talked about multicultural, multi-ethnic. We just said, we wanna be a church in the city that looks like the city. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, in this kind of neighborhood driven, mm-hmm in a place like where you are, I mean, that like, how does how does that flesh out for you? I mean, you know how we've kind of fleshed it out here. How yeah. does that flesh out for you over there?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think we just are trying to be faithful in reaching our neighbors and reaching across the globe. Like just keeping that in front of us at all times, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples, wherever you are. And if that means going overseas, go overseas. If that yeah. means uh, ministering in a sex tracking environment, do that. If that means just having your neighbor over to your house. And kind of we leave the results in the Lord's yeah. hands. Now, there's some strategic things that you can do. Like I think, as a white guy, like I have to beware of being tone deaf, yeah. you know, and saying things that is off-putting. Um, that's why I have good friends, probably my closest friends right now are African Americans. And so I, I'm routinely like saying, well, how does this sound to you? How does this land to you? And that's where team leadership in a church like that is so critical.
0: Yeah, I think that's important. You talked a little bit about just the idea of kind of white culture or black culture and all that. What's interesting to me is that it literally seems like whites are kind of have this fragility when it mm-hmm. comes to race talks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And minorities have kind of fatigue, mm-hmm. right? Why, Ryan? Why are you? What makes you unique? to kind of come into this situation about your call. Yeah. You know, talk to you a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, there, there's a couple things just kind of in my background. So I, um, I grew up in a um, urban poor neighborhood. And so, you know, I was a minority in my neighborhood. And so that gave me relationships from a very early age with people that, that came from a different background yeah. as me. Mm-hmm. Uh, then playing basketball. Yeah. You know, I was I was often the only white kid on the court. Um, then I got to college and my best friends were teammates of mine that were, that were African-Americans. we go to church together. And um, my heart would break at the reality that I know these brothers love Jesus. And here we sit in a church and, and they're, the only, they're the only black people. Yeah. I go to their church and I'd be the only white people. Yeah. And I'm like, something's wrong. Then the Lord, uh, uh, another thing that kind of came into that is my wife grew up in South America, so she's a she's a missionary kid, oh, and so she, she does she does speak oh, Spanish. Yeah. I didn't know that about Yeah, 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 okay. So um, when we were kind of when you, when you kind of approached me, would you consider this area that's yeah. near Clarkston? Yeah. That was like you know bells and whistles going off because it was like the Lord brought two kind of ministry dreams together yeah. both the racial reconciliation piece
0: and then the international that's, missions that's piece good. so did you grow up kind of thinking about that dichotomy i'm the only white guy on a black basketball team i like how cognitive was that when like just in your growing up
1: yeah yeah so um de- definitely so I-, I would say okay so hear me really plainly on this I have suffered very very little compared to our people of color but 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 sometimes on the court I would feel marginalized or would would feel put aside because of the way I looked right. and then I'd hit a three and I'd be all right
0: so but, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean I think but I think that's significant yeah. right because that probably a lot of times when you go on as this guy, white guy on the court, man, I got to prove that I can play. Right. Let me hit this J in your, right. like, you know, that was a tension, but I, I feel like a lot of times that helps you with conversations now, because as a minority in a majority world, like a lot of times we feel that I got to prove that mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. play, mm-hmm. right? And I think that sometimes is the tension that we feel. So how much of that in your calling did you, do you feel like, does that help you being empathetic, you know, to in these types of conversations? A- absolutely. I
1: mean, Yeah, I mean, those pieces of um, racial reconciliation and my experience in college with my my friends, um, you know, going to one church and they being the only black folks, me going to their church, me being the only white folks, I mean, it really broke my heart. I mean, Dr. King's statement, you know, 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour in the United States of America. That's heartbreaking. And, And in one sense, if... If the church doesn't speak to issues like that today in our divided culture, we're becoming irrelevant. We're, our voice isn't mattering. I yeah. um, think another thing that I think helps me as a, as a white guy was just the residency at Blueprint, honestly. Because mm-hmm. I had pastored a diverse church. Our church was about um, 30% minority in Chicago. Um, but then coming here and being in a majority minority church, mm-hmm. that was a whole different ballgame. Yeah. And uh, I think... I think any planners that are aspiring to multi-ethnic ministry, um, man, you need to make sure that you develop some racial IQ. You know the contours of the debate. And that comes from having significant relationships of people speaking into your life. So when I was here at Blueprint, there were three of us on the pastoral team and we were all from kind of different cultural backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember we would sit around and we would look at a text of scripture, uh, preparing for a preaching series, and we would all kind of excavate something out of the text and it was good and it was true and it was different. Because we just tended to look at it through different lenses. And I think, man, if you've never experienced that, sometimes we can get cultural tunnel vision Mm -hmm. and think my way is the way. And yes, the scripture only has one meaning for sure, but there are many applications of the scripture.
0: And I love that, especially as you tie it into this, you know, when we talk about our calling and what we're, you know, who God has made us to be, because it's like God has constantly calling you, right? He's like, you have a story Mm -hmm. that that he was uniquely forming you as a basketball player and being the only white guy in a basketball team and then coming in and being the only white, passing a multi-ethnic church, but was predominantly um, Anglo, Mm -hmm. then coming in and doing a residency. I mean, I think that is, that's, that's what I love because it's the same thing with my journey and my story, even how I got to Blueprint, yeah. you know, where I'm in a diverse, you know, neighborhood. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I think that that's huge, you know, and, and tying that all in. And I love kind of what you're talking about with Sedine and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's tight.
1: Awesome.